0: Let's turn in the other bookend, John chapter 1. Gospel of John chapter 1. This morning we were on the other side, the other bookend, John chapter 21, seeing the post resurrected Christ. All of his power, all of his might, all of his strength, all of his authority coming to his disciples here in John chapter 1 we see the pre-incarnate Christ And, and we're to learn from here the great purpose of John's book so let's read John chapter 1 and we'll be reading the first 18 verses this evening But to all who did receive him, believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. The word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The only God, who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Thus far, the reading of God's Word. Let's again bow in prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, we once again come unto you, thankful, O Lord, for our opportunity to be here in this evening hour of your Sabbath day. Father, we pray that you would grant Pastor Bob clarity of mind and speech in presenting your Word, that you would have him to speak this night Give us uh, ears to hear, eyes to see, and hearts that would gratefully accept um, what is said. In your son's precious name we pray, amen. Amen. His name was Charles Taz Russell. Infinity members know that name. There's a sign that was kind of important to our infinity members on Wilson Street, north of here, that they were to get their picture taken at. Of course, we had learned that throughout our Sunday school year about Charles Taz Russell. Mr. Russell was a preacher who became infatuated with, I guess I would say, not only the end times, but also what he believed was the corruption of the passage we have just read. So much so that he wrote his own version. They come knocking on your door. These people that are known as uh, the folks who go to the kingdom hall of Jehovah's Witnesses. They come to your door and and want to convince you of the fact that, that Jesus really is not what the Belgic Confession just said he was. They want to convince you of the fact that that what the Apostles' Creed, what the Nicene Creed, what the Athanasian Creed states is not who Jesus is. So far will they go that they will not allow you to open this Bible, to read it, to discuss it with them. No, our version. Point number one, it is useless to argue with someone who does not honor the word of God, but honors the word of men in its place. For that is what they're doing. They're honoring the word of men, of a man, over and above the authoritative, Word of God that you and I have been studying now over and over again for the past several months. It is useless to argue with people who will not even accept the basic Christian doctrine of the Trinity. Those people who knock at your door, their nice white shirts and ties who seem to have all the sincerity in the world, are not Christians. Not only do they not believe in a triune God who clearly has revealed himself in the Word, they do not believe in the divinity of Jesus Christ. So perhaps the next time one comes a-knocking, maybe after tonight's message, you'll say, if you're willing to discuss with me this version, I'll gladly discuss with you. Else it's probably a waste of your and my time. For we are not to cast pearls before swine. Now, those are hard words. Those are harsh words. In Debray's day, they might be death words. Today, it's probably a fine imprisonment. Some sort of hate speech has just been offered. But you know, that doesn't take away from the truth of it and the reality of it. So let's dig in to John chapter 1. Two main purposes. John chapter 1 is there, and the gospel of John is there, specifically with the purpose to teach us that Jesus Christ is divine and human. He bears two natures. That's what John is doing. That's what's between the bookends. That's what begins the gospel. That's where we are to end the gospel. That the one who comes in the flesh is the Christ who existed before all time. That the one that the disciples are seeing on the Sea of Galilee asking them to come and have breakfast is none other than the eternal Son of God. And in between, John fills the gospel through the work of the Holy Spirit of example after example after example to teach us that very point. But there is a second. I alluded to it this morning, and I want to call your attention to it more specifically tonight. If you go to John chapter 20, John tells us the purpose of the book. John 20, verse 30. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Who's that? The Son of God. That you can believe that Jesus, this man of flesh, Is Christ the Son of God, and that by believing, you might have life in His name? If you take that apart, ask yourself the question, what does it take to believe to be saved? It takes believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. If you do not believe that, there is no salvation. You can't be saved. John is writing to us so that we, also living in our day, in our age, have that which we need the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, to go into this world to proclaim the truth of who Jesus Christ is. That Jesus, the Son of God, is where life is to be found. Secondly, let's go back then to John chapter 1. Perhaps you see these things already. Perhaps even as I was reading them, you see these connections But I want to point out six connections that John is making. And I'm using John chapter (coughs) 1 because that's what Debray referenced. It's one of the scripture texts that, that Debray referenced in the Belgic Confession. He's writing again explaining what do we believe as Reformed believers? What is it? that those who belong to the Reformed faith, what is it we believe about Jesus Christ? We believe that he is the divine Son of God who came in the flesh. Micah testifies of it, the apostles testify of it. But it calls specific attention to John chapter 1. Again, let me just state, six connections. The first connection are the first three words, right? You can't miss how John opens the book. In the beginning. Where have you heard those three words together before? Anybody? Genesis chapter 1. That's the other reference, right? Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning. Okay, you don't have more than one beginnings. So when Genesis says, in the beginning, and now John uses the phrase, in the beginning, are we talking about two separate beginnings? No. We are talking about one and the same, for the lack of a better term, time. In the beginning. In Genesis, it's in the beginning God created. John, it's in the beginning was the Word. Now note what John is doing. He is saying that this word that he has not yet defined, he has not yet told us exactly what he means by word. Now, we've read the passage. We've probably studied it. We know where it's going. But, but you got to stop and take it slowly. Take it piece by piece. The word was in the beginning. Genesis says, though, who was in the beginning? God. In the beginning, God. John, in the beginning, the Word. What John is simply saying is this here's the second thing that the Word was God. Whatever this Word is going to end up being in John chapter 1, wherever this goes, he is making the connection that the Word is God. And we could say, end of story. Well, that's because we know who the Word is. But you see, when, when, you're, when you're talking to someone, when you're, you're trying to show them the, the fact that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, begotten, not made... You have to take it piece by piece. You can't just say, oh, you see, now the word is Jesus. No, you have to show him that. You have to show them how this works together. See, the problem is what, what we do oftentimes, because I've experienced it as well, and I've done it myself, okay? So I'm, I'm right there with you. They, the Jehovah Witness knocks on the door, and you go, okay, this time I'm going to take him on. I just feel like a good argument today. I just feel like taking them on. You're about a minute into the conversation and you're so frustrated. Why? Because they're going every which direction. They're all over the place. You don't even know what century you're talking about anymore. Because all of a sudden we've gone here, we've gone there, and then there's this word and there's that word. You've got to go to this word and that word. Do you understand there is a tactic in doing that? That is a purposeful tactic of to distort the word of God. It's to take you off your game. It's to get in your head. It's to make you so frustrated that you end up saying, okay, maybe you're right. Well, that's a pretty big win for a JW. To have a Protestant admit that they're right. But you see, it's through the systematic going through a text. That we can show, we can demonstrate, not only are they wrong, but that our belief is indeed right. In the beginning, Jesus says in, in John to, to the, the Pharisees, before Abraham was, I am. And of course, that, that lights their fuse, doesn't it? They get all upset about that because Jesus just said he was Yahweh. There can only be one Yahweh. Yahweh is one. How can you be Yahweh? Yahweh is in heaven. Yet Jesus clearly says, no, I'm Yahweh. I am. Before I was born, I existed. In the beginning... The Word was God. Now, to emphasize that, notice what John does. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. Now, now what's going on there? He was with God. Well, there's part of our our basis, once again, of a triune God. Only here, we only have the two persons mentioned. But, but he was with God. How can somebody be with God unless they are equal to God? How can you be eternal and God be eternal if you are not God? There's only one eternal God. So it must be that the word is God as well. Verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. You remember Debray? Moses said, yeah, that's right. Genesis 1 said, who created God? What does John say? The word created. And of course, at this point, okay, the Word created, the Word is God. We're saying the same thing, are we not? Yes, we are. It is a false notion to say that one's view of creation. Has nothing to do with salvation. Jesus said through the Word, I created the heavens and the earth. Can you have a Savior who's a liar? Can Jesus save us from our sins if He's a liar? You say, well, no, because then he'd be sinful and it required a perfect sacrifice. Exactly. So when you're professor, when you're teacher in high school, as you press the point, young person, of the fact, wait a minute, I think you're trying to teach us a view of the creation that is not true. You're trying to tell us that Genesis 1 is not true history. And they look at you and they say, well, this really has nothing to do with Jesus. You turn to John chapter 1 and you say, how can it not have something to do with Jesus? He was not only there, he's the creator. Are you telling me that Jesus lied? And of course he didn't lie. Not only did Jesus create, John goes on to say, He's life. That which gives life is Christ. It is Christ who gives life to everything. I am the resurrection and the life, I am the light. I'm the light that shines in the darkness. I am the light of the world. First, in the beginning. Second, the word was God. Third, the word created. Fourth, the word came. The word came. How did the Word come? The Word came, we are told, not by the will of man, not by ordinary procreation, not by sinful act, not by lustful thought, but by the will of God. If somebody comes into the world by the will of God, what what is that conveying? It's conveying the fact that God is the one who brought this life. And the Holy Spirit shall come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And that which is born of you will be called the Son of the Most High. The Word came. How? By the will of God. And became flesh. Verse 14, this word that is existing in the beginning, this word that was God, this word that created, this word that came by the will of God, is a word that became flesh. Human, man, two natures natures a flesh a man nature and a god nature a divine nature that's who the word is the word that takes on flesh he was here notice the next phrase of john chapter 1 verse 14 not only did he take on flesh, but he dwelt among us. And we've seen his glory. What does it mean to dwell? It means to tabernacle. The word God came in the flesh and tabernacled and we beheld his glory. Exodus, make for me a tabernacle, that I may dwell amongst my people. Exodus chapter 40. And Moses did all that God commanded. And the Lord came and dwelt in the tabernacle with a glory that they were not able to look at. John is telling us that the word that became flesh that is God that was existing in the beginning that is life, that is light that came by the will of God that came in the flesh is God present with us. It was God who grew Inside of the Virgin Mary. It was God who was born in Bethlehem. It is God who labors for 33 years there so upon this earth. It is God who hangs upon a cross. It is God who suffers. It is God who dies upon that cross. Don't separate this out. And, well, you know, he really wasn't God when he was there. How could he not be God? He is Christ. Emmanuel is who we call him. God with us. It's not God alongside of Jesus that wherever Jesus goes, God comes along as his friend. Emmanuel, God with us, means he is God. It's amazing, it's startling, it's mystifying. But yet this is what John is telling us. This is what the door knocker is denying. This is what the door knocker is running away from. This is what the door knocker wants nothing to do with. They will not accept a word become flesh and dwelling amongst us. Continue on. Verse 15. John bore witness about him and cried out, This is he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth through Jesus Christ. There's the connection. There's the line. The word that becomes flesh that dwells among us. The word that existed in the beginning. The word that was with God. The word that was God. The word that created. The word that is life. The word that is light the word that came into this world by the will of god that word is jesus christ in the beginning was christ not created Not made. Not the first of God's creations. Not some higher angel that elevates to some exalted position. Not some man who lives such an exemplary life that God, Yahweh, conferred upon him sonship. Jesus Christ God But you see this is denied this is not accepted Judaism doesn't accept it Judaism believes that he's a blasphemer worthy of death That which I have just said in a Jewish synagogue would be considered blasphemy. If we were in the Old Testament, they would haul me outside of the city and stone me to death. And they believe the same thing today. They don't accept this truth. They don't accept this reality. Well, a whole bunch of people who are like, well, you know, but they're good, nice people. They, they live nice lives. Certainly, they must be saved. No, you must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. And they do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, certainly those nice Muslims who believe in only one God Certainly there's a lot of similarity between us and them. No, there isn't. Their one God is not our God. Their one God, one, is not triune. Two, there is no Christ. Oh, there's a Jesus. There's a Jesus who's a good moral teacher. But he's not the Christ. He's not the Son of God. He's not the Word become flesh. This page doesn't exist in the Quran. And then, of course, you have the cults, you have the Mormons, who deny this very truth as well. Can you deny John chapter 1? Can you deny the divinity? And humanity of Christ, and still be considered a Christian. That's not a mysteric that's not a question of mystery. No. No. You cannot deny. The divinity of Christ and still be a Christian. And I've probably included the Jehovah's Witnesses enough that I don't need to repeat it. You see, if we go back to the last article that Debray wrote. He, he mentions some of these people who were deniers of the Trinity, but they're also deniers as well of, of the fact of, of Jesus' divinity. This guy by the name of Marcion, okay, who saw Jesus as a second God, not God. There's a, a guy by the name of Arius. Perhaps you're more familiar with him. He taught that the first creation of God was the Son who in turn, S-U-O-N first creation of God was the Son, S-O-N Jesus, who in turn created everything else. This means that Jesus is not fully God, nor is he eternal. Arius is condemned as a heretic. We have a creed formulated within Christianity called the Athanasian Creed to defend the fact that Jesus is truly God. Do you know Benny Hinn? Do you know that fella? Okay. How many of you ever heard of Benny Hinn? Okay. Want to hear a quote from Benny Hinn? God has body, soul, and spirit. And there are three of them, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So there are actually nine gods. You're going to tell me that's Christianity. To believe in nine gods? It's not Christianity. That's polytheism. That's paganism. Why is this so crucial? Let me close with three things. One, I'm on point four. I would entitle this, if I were taking the notes, The Comfort Found. Why is this so, so, so important? I suppose on one hand we could say, well, it's in God's word. Of course it's important. But, but I'm, I'm thinking about this differently. First of all, the reason this is important is that this see gives us hope and assurance that God's wrath has been satisfied. If it's just a man dying on a cross, I have no hope. You know Why? Because all men are sinners. If Jesus is just man who dies upon a cross, that doesn't do anything. Even if he's a good man, it does nothing for my salvation. The fact that he is divine, perfect, holy, without sin, who also has my nature, He is my representative even as Adam in that garden represented me before that covenant of works with God. So Christ is my representative in that covenant of grace. My flesh and blood. He's dying for sinners like me. And it's a Perfectly, holy death. And God's wrath is satisfied. Fully, completely in Christ. Secondly, my comfort is found not only in the satisfied wrath of God. But I have an understanding mediator. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 reminds us of the fact that Christ is our mediator even now before the Father. That He stands interceding not as one who does not know of our weakness. Not as one who does not know or understand our frailty. But because He was human He understands fully Your pain. He understands fully your frustrations. He understands fully your loneliness. He understands fully your hurts. He understands fully your wounds. He understands fully. Because he became flesh, and he hungered, and he slept, and he sweat, he cried out in pain, and he died. I have a mediator. knows exactly what it's like to be man but he's able to come before the presence of a holy God because he is holy he is divine and when he prays For you, when he prays for me, he prays not imperfectly. He prays perfect prayers before the Father. Not one misstep, not one misspoken word, not one mispronounced word, not one wrong appendage is prayed for. Not one wrong name is mentioned. Oh, Father, sorry, I I didn't mean them. It's somebody else. I, I got confused. Never and always fully in the will of his Father. The comfort of knowing that my mediator is the word become flesh. But thirdly, my third comfort is, that which Thomas expressed in that passage we looked at last Lord's Day. My Lord, my King. He is our personal King. Not over land, not over territory, but over our hearts, over our souls, over our wills, over our lives. That Jesus is not just a good teacher. That Jesus didn't just set a good example. But he is the sovereign Lord who reigns fully, completely. Over you, over me. And he will finish his work. My only comfort in life and in death is that I am not my own, but I belong to my faithful Savior. The word become flesh. And God's people say, "Father, we thank you. Oh, how we thank you, for the gift of your Son, and how we thank you, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ for humbling yourself, for coming into this world, for assuming our humanity, dying for our sins, for rising, for ascending, for ruling and for reigning, for being our mediator. And how we thank you, O Holy Spirit, for your sovereign work in taking our cold stone hearts and melting them to a love of Jesus Christ. In his name. Amen.